What a special time, right? Giving children to the Lord. What a special time. We're doing a series for starting in Easter, uh, starting today, actually, and going through the uh, month of April, called I Am. Do we have slides? I have so many things for Mauricio to do. It's kind of like, what? <laughs> it's called I Am. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus says eight different times who he is, all right? And so if you want to learn a little bit about your Bible this morning, I'm going to tell you a little bit about your Bible. The first, there's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and there's John. Those are called the Gospels, and they're the biographies of Jesus. There are those who are eyewitnesses of him, and they wrote what they saw, what they experienced, and what um, they encountered in following Jesus. And so you have different Gospels, and the book of Matthew was written to Jewish primarily. When he was writing it, he was trying to communicate to Jewish people. When you have the Gospel of Mark, he is trying to communicate to Roman people. When you have the Gospel of Luke, Luke is communicating to Greek people. And then you have the Gospel of John. And I don't know if you know this, but your name's in the Bible. You know that? You're a whosoever, okay? Everybody's name's in the Bible. The Gospel of John was written to whosoever. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus reveals things about himself, and he not only declares, the one thing about the Lord is you need to know, God never attempts at all to explain himself, ever. He declares himself, and he reveals himself, but he never explains himself, okay? So when God is declaring himself, we need to pay attention. When God is revealing himself, we need to pay attention. All right. So eight times Jesus says in the book of John, he says, you can go to the next slide. I am the bread of life. These are the I am's. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And so these are declarations of his identity. He's declaring who he is, and he's also revealing his nature. And so you can understand the importance of this. Angels, there's another realm, there's another uh, universe, time and space. There's another reality. This reality is a lower reality. There is a higher reality that is called the reality of the spirit, the realm of the spirit. And there are beings that inhabit that realm, angels, fallen and holy. And the holy angels, the ones who worship God, do not know God by any other name but one. They know him by a name called Elohim which means judge, high supreme judge. But God has given to us the ability to know him in a more intimate way. And the first way we get to know him in an intimate way is by coming to Jesus. And then as we come give our lives to Christ, God begins to progressively reveal more of who he is to us. And so it's a great honor to us as human beings to be given the opportunity to know the one who created everything. That is a tremendous honor. Jesus, when he uses this word, I am, God took a nation. So I'm going to give you a little history so that hopefully you can connect a little bit to this message. God took a nation. He took a bunch of people. He took a person, a, a nation called Israel. They were the lowest nation on the earth. They, God said, I did not choose you because you were great. I chose you because you were least. And through God, through our lowness, through their lowness, God made them great. This is what he does. So he takes the lowly life and he makes them great. And so God chose, chose this people that, that, that he named them Israel, which meant princes of God. 
or princesses of God, however you want to, you can conject that. And he said, I'm choosing you to be my people, and I'm going to reveal myself to you, and you in turn are going to reveal yourself to the nation. And so Jesus came into, was born into the culture of the Jews, okay? And so to the Jew, they understood specific things that somebody who was not a Jew at that time would not understand. And what they would understand is they would understand the use of these words, I am. When Jesus was using the words, I am, he was saying he was God. In the Greek, it is the words, ego imi. It means self-contained and eternal. And so when, God, when Jesus stood before the Jewish people and he stood before the teachers and everybody who was supposedly knew something or knew, knew what they were supposed to know, Jesus said, I am self-contained or I am self-existent and I am eternal. What he was saying was, I am God. You and I are not self-contained and you and I, we, although we are eternal, we do not have power over our life. Jesus has power over his life. He said, when he went to the cross, he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I also have the power to take it up again. Jesus is self-contained and eternal. So if you look at what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I am the God who is the bread of life. I am the God who is the light of the world. I am the God who is greater than all generations. I am the God who is the door, the door to your future, the door to your hope, the door to the new beginning. I am the God who is the good shepherd. I care for my people. I find my people. I shepherd my people. I protect my people. I am the God who brings life from the dead, the resurrection and the life. I am the God who is the only way, the only truth, the only life. He's not a truth. He's not a way. He's not a life. He is the only way. I am the God who is the true vine. What is he saying? I am the God from which all life flows. And so Jesus, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to take a look at a couple of these passages of what Jesus is saying and what he, when he declares himself to be. Next slide. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And when he says that, he says that in the context of a story. There's this huge event that happens, and it's out of this event that happens that Jesus makes this proclamation. And we're going to see some really beautiful things out of this. This is coming out of the Gospel of John chapter 8. And it says, at, at dawn he appeared in the temple courts. What's going on here? Jesus had been away in prayer, as he commonly did. He would go away and he would pray. He would seek the Father. The Father would give him instructions. He would draw on the Holy Spirit. And then he would take what the Father had instructed him. He would take what the Holy Spirit had given him. And he would bring it back to the people. Because he cares for you. He's that good. He loves you. It's not about him. And so he came for us. He came like us. He was God, but he lowered himself. He was God, but he descended. Divinity put on humanity. God lowered himself. And he would go and draw upon the Father, the Son, and he was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was part of a triune God, a trinity. And he would draw upon the Father and the Spirit because he was the Son. And he would impart that back to us. And so Jesus is showing up in the temple or the gathering place after in prayer, and there were people that were gathered there, and Jesus sat down to teach them. And all of the religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religiously correct. Anybody know religiously correct people? Do you? Anybody ever met anybody that thinks that they're the moral law or the moral police and that they're better than you or they judge your life and they can't even see the idea, they can't even possibly see what's going on in their own? But boy, they've got your life figured out, don't they? They know exactly who you are and exactly what you are, and they can't see their own hypocrisy, and they can't see their own foolishness. This is what's going on. These people who are religiously correct, they're moralists. We're better than you. 
right? They show up and they throw a woman into this gathering. So Jesus is sitting and there's a gathering of people. And into this gathering, these men show up and throw a woman who is naked at worst and has a sheet around her at best, throw her right into this moment. It's the most humiliating, darkest, shameful moment of her life. And they're humiliating her publicly. And they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. She was caught in the very act. The law of God says she must die. What do you say? And the story goes, Jesus heard them. He bent down and he began to write with his finger in the ground. Right? So they're coming to him. They're creating this whole tumult. Everybody's paying attention. They're looking. They're arguing with him. They're yelling at him. Jesus sits down and starts to write in the dirt. And they start arguing with him all the more. Tell us what to do. Tell us what you say. They kept arguing, the scripture says, in the law of Moses. And so he begins and he stands up after he wrote in the ground and he stood up and he says to you, let any one of you who was quite, any one of you who is without sin be the first one to pick up a rock and throw it. In other words, he says, do you believe that you're better than her? Do you believe that you are in any position better than this person? If you are, then stand up and throw a rock. Then stone her to death. That's what the penalty was. They were to throw rocks, big rocks at the person and pummel them until they died. That's what the lost said they were to do. They never really actually did that. They did it a couple times in the New Testament, but there's not a lot of evidence of that them actually doing that in the Old Testament. They did do it, wrongly. And so Jesus wrote on the ground. And it tells us two times that he wrote. So he wrote on the ground the first time, stands up and says it, and then sits back down and writes again. Well, he uses two Greek words. It's understanding that we pull on what the Bible means through the original language that it was written in. The Bible was written in Koine Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. So to understand what's going on here, we have to go back to the original language and understand what is being said. Jesus does two things. The first time he writes, the Greek word is katagraphen, which means to write towards. Okay? So what does that mean? It means he's addressing a letter, and he's writing it down, right? And he's saying, Kevin. He's writing on the ground, Kevin, Moyen, Jen. You know, he's just writing people's names down. And as he writes their names down, he stands up, and he says, any of you better than her? Throw a rock. And then he sits down, and he writes again. And this time the word is graphen, which means to list. And so probably the second time, if you conject these words, he writes down their names and then he starts listing sins. Adultery, fornication, lying, stealing, all of the things. He starts writing down all the sins. He says, if any of you are, are guiltless of this, if any of you are better than her, throw a rock. And what happens? It says they all start leaving from the oldest to the youngest. You say, why did the older ones leave first? Probably because they had been sinning longer, okay? So they had more baggage than the rest than the younger people. So they looked at it like, oh, my gosh, this is not good. This is going to go, not going my way at all. And so they laughed. And then Jesus straightened up, and he looks at the woman, and he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave this life of sin. And then he looks at the people again as he does this in this moment. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. No one who, anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he comes into this place of prayer, comes in, he's teaching the people. They throw a storm on him. She had, this woman enters a humiliating, a dark, and a shameful time. I would tell you very much that there is no one you want with you more in a humiliating, dark, and shameful time than Jesus. And so you know, every single one of you in this room, you will have dark, humiliating, and shameful times in your life. 
and you'll, be have, and you'll have more than one of them. I can assure you of that. And there is no one that you want more with you than Jesus. And what the enemy will do to you and what the devil will do to you is he'll take your darkness, he'll take your humiliation, and he'll take your shame, and he wants to throw you right out in the middle. And he wants to make you a public spectacle. But Jesus will cover you. Jesus will protect you. Jesus will guard you. So you need to know that. You're going to have dark times. Don't think, that you do, don't think that dark times don't come upon people. They come upon us all. Don't think shameful times don't come upon you. Shameful times come upon us all. We're no better one or the other. We're all broken and in need of Christ. Don't think that you won't have a humiliating experience in this world. Don't think it won't come. It will. We're no different. And we all need Jesus. And so what I want to talk to you this morning out of that passage, I want to talk to you about three things that we see in this text. We see the law, we see the love, and we see the life. The first thing that we see in this passage is the law. What is the law? The law is to reveal your guilt. No one, at no other time do I get more pushback than when I say we're not good people. People go, wait a second. You can't say we're not good people. I'm a good person. How can you say I'm not a good person? Or better yet, when I say we're all sinners. Oh, I don't know about that, man. Not a sinner. I had a pastor tell me one time I haven't sinned in three years. I'm not kidding you. I asked him to repeat it because I knew I was going to be repeating it for the rest of my life. I said, what did you say? He said, I haven't sinned in three years. I guess the sin of pride does not count, you know, or the sin of self-exaltation doesn't count to him. You tell me I haven't sinned in three years. Wow. <laughs> I sinned three minutes ago. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking about punching you in the face right now. I don't know. That is, that is sin. Might need to pray for me right now. So, <laughs> The law reveals our guilt. The law is Torah in the Bible. In, in the Hebrew, it means Torah. It means the way of God. What they did not understand was the purpose of the law. And there's lots, there's some Christians in this room that you think you actually are called to obey the Ten Commandments. You cannot, because that's not what they were given to you for. You are called to obey the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The Ten Commandments are a mirror. That is the whole intent of the law. We see this, this is just one passage of many, but the Bible tells us, the Bible always interprets itself, and it tells us why God gave the law. So these men are saying, she's guilty before the law, she is to die. But the whole point of the law was not to bring condemnation, but to bring the illumination in order that they could come to salvation. Do you understand that? The whole point of the law was to show mankind's guilt in order that they would turn to the one who could make them guiltless. That was the whole point. So in Galatians it says, what then, why was the law given? It was given alongside of a promise to show the people their sins. The law was designed to last only until the Savior came, that was promised, for God gave his law to, the, to Moses through the Spirit, who was a mediator, the one who stood between God and man. So the purpose of the law is to show you you're sinful. So let's just hold the mirror up right now, right? Let's just prove this fact out. Anybody here ever lied? Anybody here who doesn't raise their hand, I'm going to call you a liar right now, okay? <laughs> if you've lied, you are a... Come on, we can say it. It's healthy for us. If, we, if you've lied, you are a... That's right. Anybody here ever stolen anything? Pencils? Staples? Maybe you took a pack of paper from work. Anybody here ever stolen anything? If you've stolen something, you are a... That's right. Anybody here ever lusted in their heart for another person? Man, woman, 
Anybody over here and have lusted? Anybody here? According to the Bible, anybody here not want to admit it? We already know you're a liar, so you may as well raise your hand up. Right? <laughs> According to the scripture, you're an adulterer. You've committed adultery within your heart. For you've lusted. I don't, I'm not lusting. No, no. You've, you lu I'm just admiring. Really? Okay. I want to minister to you. I want to lay hands on you. Let me minister to you. I'm not lusting. I'm ministering. Are you really? Anybody here ever wanted so much, something so much that you would do anything for it? I want that car so bad, I'll do anything for it. I want that cell phone so much, I'll do anything for it. I want that relationship so much, I'll do anything for it. The Bible calls that coveting and likens you to an idolater. All right? Anybody here ever hated somebody so much in their heart you wanted them dead? Don't look at your spouse, okay? All right? <laughs> the Bible says you're a murderer. So based upon what I just said, every single person in this room is a lying, thieving, adultering, murdering idolater. That's what we are. Every single one of us. Do you see the point of the law? Is to hold it up and say you're all guilty. You're guilty. And you know what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to humble you and to go, I am guilty. What do I do? You see that in the book of Acts when, Paul, when Peter preached the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel and they looked at him and they said, what do we do? We're guilty. That's exactly the point. You come to Jesus. The law, the bad news, is to give you a picture of why you need the good news. Nobody here has love for firemen unless you've been rescued out of a burning building by a fireman. I can admire a fireman. I can look at him and go, yeah, that's cool. They get a red truck, nice suit, nice suit, helmet, you know, cool goggles and this like oxygen tank thing on their back. That's really cool. I can admire him. But if that fireman pulled me out of a burning building, I really appreciate firemen. Most people are admirers of Jesus, but they don't understand him because they don't realize that he has pulled you out of the burning building. Or there are some of you here who need to be pulled out of a burning building. And you're here this morning so that the gospel can come to you, so that this truth can come to you. And you feel guilt and you feel shame and you say, I'm not worthy. And if I go to church, the walls are going to fall down. Really? If I go to church, God's going to get me. God wanted to get you, he'd already have you. He'd already have you, right? You come here so that his grace can be imparted to you, so that you can understand you're no different than the rest of the human race. We're all sinners, and we're all guilty. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Are you any better than her? You're no better than her. None of us are better than anyone. None of us have the right to boast. No flesh glories before the Lord. None of us. I'm such a good person. Jesus tells the story of two people. He tells the story of a priest who said, Lord, I honor you every day of my life. I give alms to the poor. I worship in the temple. I do all of these wonderful things. And I thank God that I'm not like this sinner right next to me. The sinner was beating his chest, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I am lowly and broken and a sinner. And Jesus said, one of them went away forgiven. Guess which one it was. The self-justified will never be, inherit the kingdom. It is the humble and the meek who understand the spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. When you look into the mirror and you see, I'm lost, I need Jesus, the kingdom is yours. But if you look and go, oh, I'm still good, I'm not, I'm, at least I'm not as bad as you, or I'm not as bad as you, I'm not as good as that person, but at least I'm not as bad as y'all, you know? That's what we do. We're all guilty before the Lord. Anybody know the story of Dorian Gray? I share this a lot, but it's a big picture of humanity. You should Google the story of Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray was this handsome, good-looking guy. This painter paints a picture of him because he's so good-looking. And Dorian wanted to live la vida loca, okay? 
He wanted to live the wild life. And so he willed that everything that he did would not affect him, but would only affect his painting. And so Dorian starts living this really wild and reckless life, and the painting starts being shifted and deformed. And Dorian can't look at it anymore, so he hides it in the attic because he can no longer look at what he's become. And he hides it in the attic, right? And so one day Dorian goes into the attic and he looks upon what he is and he takes a pair of scissors and he cuts, I'm gonna ruin the book for you or ruin the story for you. He cuts the, he cuts the painting, there's other stuff in there, but he cuts the painting with the scissors and when he cuts the painting, he drops down dead and the painting is restored back to its original thing. Most people are like Dorian Gray. We really don't wanna look and see what we are. We really don't. I got no problem with it. My name is Kevin and I'm a sinner, okay? And I need Jesus every minute of every hour of every day of every second of my life, I need Jesus, okay? Stick around, I will offend you. Stick around, I will disappoint you. Stick around, I will hurt you. And guess what? You'll do the same to me, okay? And you'll do the same to everyone around you. Marriage teaches us that, don't we? Doesn't it teach us that? That the glorious one that we've married somehow will disappoint us or offend us or hurt us or, you know? It teaches us that. We're all broken, we're all sinful. So the law is to show us that we're fallen. They demanded an answer. Jesus writes on the ground. He uses these words, katagrafen and grafen. So he writes their names and he writes their sins. The people walk away. Go back now, go forward to the love. So we have the law. The purpose of the law, the purpose of the commandments is not to make you better than the other person. Christians do this. Well, I went to church. You didn't. I'm better than you. No, you're not. No, you're not. The only thing that we're better, look, you need church. You're called and commanded if you're a Christian to be a part of a church. That's not optional. You're called into that. But that, your church doesn't make you holy. Church doesn't make you righteous. Jesus makes you holy, and Jesus makes you righteous. Then we have the love. And what the, so the law reveals our guilt. The love reveals his grace. What is grace? Grace is what you don't deserve. Although Jesus can judge us, although he should judge us, he chooses not to. He chooses to extend grace to us. Says, woman, where are they? Has none condemned you? And here's the question: Was this woman guilty? Was she guilty? Yes. Was she deserving of punishment according to the law? Yes. Okay. She was guilty, and she condemned. And what do we learn from this? Two things. We learn first of all, if you're a believer and you're a Christian, there is never going to be condemnation over you. There is no condemnation if you are a Christian this morning. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you did this morning, no matter what you did last week. There is no condemnation over you. Not now, not ever. Consequences are not condemnation. We do dumb things, we make poor choices, and we inherit the consequences of our stupidity. Then there are things that happen to us that we have absolutely nothing to do with it, and it's part of a sinful, broken world. Not everything that happens to you is your fault. Not everything that happens to you is God's judgment. In fact, if you're a Christian, none of it is God's judgment. He's not judging you. I could give you text after text after text after text. God does not judge you. You are not under judgment at all. And so what it, the things that end up happening to our lives is either that we're ignorant, we don't know, or we're arrogant, we make stupid choices and reap the consequences, or things just happen, right? You get a flat tire. Did, that, did you do anything for that? I didn't do, you know, or things, things just happen because the world is broken. But God is not the author of that. We have to understand that. He's good. And so what happens even in your stupid choices, you make a dumb choice, you give that choice back to the Lord. He says, I will work it out to your good. Even in your own stupidity, Jesus will work for you. 
You have circumstances that come upon your life and come on you like a wave and just completely destroy you or throw your life up in the air. God says, if you'll turn it to me, he takes beauty, he gives us beauty for ashes. You feel like your life's been torched and burnt down around you? Jesus says, give me your ashes. Give me the ash heap. Give me whatever you have that you have left. Give it to me. I have nothing left. Well, then give me you. That's what he says. And he'll restore it. There's no condemnation to the believer. If you're not in Christ and you've never given your heart to Jesus and you believe Jesus in your mind, first of all, if you believe in Christ only in your mind, you are not saved. It's important that you not walk out of here not knowing that. Salvation is of the heart. We commit with the heart. We commit with the innermost part of our being, not with our mind. In your mind, you will never understand God. And if you can understand God with your mind, he's not God. Straight up. Okay? I do not need a God that I can explain. Okay? I can be my own God if that's the case. God is far and away more significant than me. Human intellect says the gospel is foolishness. Jesus was born of a virgin. Yeah, right. Yeah, keep telling yourself that. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was God in the flesh. He lived sinlessly, died on a cross for my sin, took the punishment for the whole world, died and rose from the grave. That makes perfect sense to me. I don't know about you. I get it. I don't get it at all. But it's truth, right? So it is not, the gospel, salvation does not appeal to your mind. It's to your heart. You must give your heart. Your mind begins to follow. We're, we lead with our minds in our culture, and we're idiots. We're idolaters of the mind in the United States. We're like the Greeks. We worship the mind. If we can't think it, and we can't reason it, and we can't rationalize it, we will refuse to believe it. And you know what the Bible says a person like that is? A fool. A fool. Idolatry of the mind. Not tapping into the reality that is true, and that is of the spirit. Truth is revealed through the heart, not the mind. Intellect will never save you. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, you say, well, I just don't understand this. It's like fairy tales and la-la land. Well, I'm telling you it's more than a fable. This is truth. And if you give your life to Christ, you'll be born again. You'll be forgiven. If you give your heart to Jesus, you'll be born again. You'll be forgiven. And you'll go from darkness to light. And you'll experience the light that I'm talking about. If you're here this morning you've never given your life to Christ, he does not want to condemn you. He wants to save you. He tells this woman, leave your life of sin. What does he say? Kaiapo in the Greek. Kairos means this moment everything changes. Kaiapo means this moment do something. He says, right now, leave sin and come to me. Not next Tuesday, not next Thursday. Well, I'll think about it. Maybe in a month I'll come to Christ. That's not what he's saying. He says, Kaiapo, right now, you do something. You want to experience change? Right now, you do something. You'll have an opportunity. We're going to pray. If you never don't know Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity. We'll pray together. You're not going to be isolated. But you'll have an opportunity to pray and know what it looks like to give your life to Christ. We'll do it today. He tells her to do something she's not capable of. If you're a Christian, you need to understand you do not have the capacity without the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. You don't. Okay? Christian, can you forgive? You cannot. Because forgiveness is a divine act. Here's what forgiveness looks like. Get into the Holy Spirit. Come to the church and, you know, you worship and you're in the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you're forgiving. Why? Because you're in the Spirit. You're in the power that gives you the ability to do what he says. When you're not in the Spirit, there's two of us. There's a Jacob and there's an Israel, if you're a Christian. There's your old person, then there's your new person. And there's constantly a tug of war, you know. The old guy wants to kill somebody. The new guy, when you're in the Spirit, wants to forgive, you know. That's what it looks like. And so what you need to understand is that as a Christian, 
You do not have the capacity to follow Jesus in yourself. You need the Holy Spirit, and you must learn to worship him and draw on the Holy Spirit and enter into his presence. We are worshipers. Come on, I, we say this a lot. We are worshipers in what? And in truth. It's important. Christianity is not a religion. It is not. It is not a religion. It is a relationship, exactly, with the divine God. By the power of his spirit, we are in relationship with him, not religious service. There is a service that's involved. There is a religious function that's involved. But the, but the whole of what we are is not religion. It's relationship. So he tells her to do something she can't do. And then he says, this is how you do it. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, leave your life of sin. And she's like, how? Well, I'm going to tell you how. Follow me. Give your life to me. He uses a word here for follow. Next slide. He uses the word akalutheo. Akalutheo in the Greek means to join yourself divinely. Theo, go to the next slide. Theo, you see down there at the bottom. This word theo means God. So anytime the word theo is used in a word, it's reflecting something divine. So you have akalutheo, and what he's saying when he says follow me, he's saying join yourself to me in a divine act. In other words, you don't have the power to do it. All you got to do is join yourself, and the divine action will make it happen. And he tells them, listen, I am, if you will join yourself to me, those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. He uses two images. He uses a path, and he uses a torch. So what is he saying? We can contrast two different lives. You don't know Jesus? You know what your life is? If you do not follow Christ, your life is one repetitive circle. All you do is repeat the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's what it looks like to not follow Jesus. You're walking in circles. You're confused. You don't know where you're going. The Bible says you're walking in darkness. What you think you want, you actually don't want. What you think you need, you get it, and you're like, I don't really want, this isn't going to satisfy. But see, here's the contrast. If you're a Christian, you don't go around in circles. You go forward. This is the beauty of following Jesus. It's like a roller coaster ride, okay? We go up, we go down, we do some loop-de-loos. You know, we go up, we do one of those big things, but we always move forward. The non-believer sinks and is buried under the consequences of what they are. And they're crushed. The believer is victorious and goes forward and goes through. That's the beauty of what we are as believers. We are a people that cannot be defeated. I dare you to apply that to your life. You cannot be defeated. The only way a Christian's defeated is when they quit. The only thing that can defeat the believer is when they quit. That's it. That's why the enemy is constantly trying to get you to quit, discourage you, get you to stop, don't do it anymore. You know, all this stuff gets you to pull back. We join ourselves to him in a divine act. So our law, the law shows our guilt. His love shows his grace. The light shows us the way. Jesus said, if you'll join yourself to me in the divine act, I will show you the way. I will give you the power. It's a joining of torches. If you want to take a literal translation of this, he said, I am the flame. I am the blazing fire of the world. That's what he says. We translate it as light. It means I am the blazing flame of the world. Those who join themselves to me will have that light. So if I'm holding up a torch, right, and we're going into darkness, the torch is really powerful. One candle, darkness, the entirety of darkness cannot overcome one candle, right? So imagine what a blazing fire is. So Jesus, so we're going to go into a cave, and we all got torches, and mine's lit, and yours isn't. So what he's saying is join your, 
torch to mine, and you catch that fire, you catch that flame, you catch that power, and then we walk forward. It also tells us that wherever you, wherever you are, whatever you have done and whatever you're going through or been through, you don't have to live there anymore. Jesus says, Kayapo, leave now. You do not have to leave in the bondage of your past. You do not have to live and be the person that everybody has ever told your life told you you are. Jesus calls you to be something that no one else has ever spoken over you. Anybody ever told you you're a champion? Anybody ever called you victorious? Anybody ever told you you're an overcomer? Anybody ever said you're divine royalty? He says all of that over you. You have no right to live according to who you think you were. We are to relate to Jesus and who he says we are now. And as a Christian, you don't have to live there anymore. The only person that makes you live there is you. The only person that keeps you in the guilt and the shame and the depression and the anxiety and the fear and the worry and the doubt, the only person that makes you stay there is you. Jesus isn't making you stay there. Same thing with a, believer, a non-believer. You're in this place, you're in this darkness, and you're here, right? No one makes you stay there. You're here this morning, and there's truth being spoken to you. You can come out of that this morning. You can become a new creation today, this day. It's good news, right? He's the light of the world. He's the hope of nations. He's the desire of nations. We join ourselves to him in a divine act, and we belong to him. So we're going to close right here. If you're a Christian here this morning, I just want to speak life over you. I want to encourage you. I want to tell you to start believing the things that God says about you and not the things that the enemy says about you. I want to tell you to start believing the things that God says about your future and not what your circumstances say about your future. Okay? We believe things. And every time somebody, a Christian will come to me and they'll say, well, and I'll always ask them, who told you that? Who told you that? Did the Bible tell you that? Oh, no, the Bible didn't tell me that. Well, who told you that? Well, my uncle told me that or my mom told me that or my dad told me that or my life is telling me that. All of that stuff is lies. The only thing that is truth is what Jesus says. And we align with the truth of what he says and that we draw on that power and we walk forward in it. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, today is your day. Today, this day. We see children being dedicated unto the Lord and this opportunity for you to receive Christ is an opportunity where your life becomes dedicated unto him, where your life becomes an offering to him. Jesus will impart to you light today. He will impart to you fire today. He will impart to you new hope today. Today, if you will. So we're going to close this with a prayer, and the church is going to elevate. It's going to pray with us and with you. And all your job is to do is just open up your heart. No one can open your heart but you. You must open your heart, not your mind. You must open your heart and choose to believe and receive. And just walk through the prayer. We're going to lead you in a prayer. We're going to pray together. Let's just do it. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is the Savior.